This episode of AVXL was recorded on November 20th, 2020. We're going to talk about Spy TV's Where Are the Micro LEDs, HBO Max on Fire TV, OLED Burn-In, a deep dive on MLB Blackouts, the joy of 300 feet of 12-gauge copper cable, and why AVRs are so darn convenient in the bedroom. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Dorton. Hey, I am Robert Herod. And I'm going to try not to sneeze. That is my goal for this podcast. Oh, if I do it once, I have to do it like three or five times, and then I'm done. <laughs> it's like, like sneezing fit. <laughs> Funny about you see that. She would sneeze three times. Something like and that. And if she didn't sneeze yeah. that third time, everything stopped until the third sneeze shows up. It's going to sneak up on you. So you might as well just get them out of the way. Be done with it. <laughs> just be done with it. <laughs> uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday, people. Happy Friday. Robert, it is an exciting week because Thanksgiving is sneaking up and I have a fully brined turkey from an artisanal grower here in Missouri. Nice. I have found not one but two fantastic butcher shops near my house, which makes me very happy. What was the poundage on your bird, if I may ask? They had what they called Tina's and Tom's and Tina's were like 18, 16 to 18, I want to say, and the Tom's were 18 to 20. Apparently, the turkeys are big this year. We can expect a minimum of a 20 to 21 pound turkey. Holy cow. And I'm like, and this is a problem? And he's like, well, a lot of people are you know, worried about this. I'm like, you know, I come from hungry Irish people. More turkey on Thanksgiving, not something I'm going to complain about. I only ask and, because uh, it came up in the news today that there is a shortage of the smaller birds this year. Apparently, people are is. downsizing to a smaller turkey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I just had that thought when you brought that up. Sounds like you got a good bird. And they're pre-brining it at mm. the butchers, which I'm so excited about. Awesome. It's going to be amazing. I also have a new refrigerator that actually was made in this uh, century. Oh, excellent. Which is a big plus. The storage. You have no idea. There was a very <laughs> small refrigerator, which we had to sterilize. Like My wife, who never touches bleach, was like, do we have any bleach? I was just like, I'll clean the fridge. Yes. It was terrifying. Terrifying, terrifying. I was in need of a joystick. And I know I have one in my storage unit. So I actually spent a good 15, 20 minutes rooting to the right spot and dug up a circa 2001 Microsoft. What the hell is this thing? Oh, my goodness. The Microsoft. It's a flight stick. Sidewinder force feedback Two, And this thing is. A, <laughs> I think I was around when you reviewed that originally. <laughs> I don't remember if I bought this or not. Yeah. Or it was a review item. But holy cow, that thing is held up. I was needing it for a test project with some uh, pan tilt zoom cameras. And I just said, oh, we have joystick support. And I'm like, I know I have a joystick here somewhere. Anyway. That was a fun thing. A blast from the past for a, a nearly 19-year-old <laughs> joystick. That but still functional. Held up quite well. I mean, that thing seems to work perfect. I have IBM keyboards from the mid-70s that are still whacking away. And it's a good excuse for me to finally, perhaps, dip my toe into Microsoft Flight Simulator. Mm. It's so pretty. It might be time. That might be the it's other reason I brought the joystick <laughs> On a giant TV. Camera testing camera. or Microsoft Flight Sim. Let's see. Anyway. It's all a good thing. Anyway. There's, it's it's an interesting use either way. Technically, AVXL is a podcast about home theater and audio and not turkeys and joysticks, which really sounds like a podcast I'd listen to. Welcome to turkeys and joysticks. Tis the um, season. 
I'm really going to steer it back to this first story. Chicago Tribune reports last month, Apple TV Plus, I'm quoting here, became the new home to the beloved Peanuts holiday specials. That sparked an outcry from viewers who were accustomed to annually tuning in on network TV. Apple offered each special to stream for free for a handful of days, but that didn't stop online petitions from gathering hundreds of thousands of signatures. So the update, November 18th, Apple has teamed with PBS for a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving on November 22nd and a Charlie Brown Christmas on December 13th. Both will be ad-free. That is Uh, awesome. PBS, of course, being the public broadcasting system. Apple TV Plus subscribers can watch starting November 18th and December 4th, respectively. And as of yesterday, the change.org position was up to 262,000 and climbing, despite the fact that it's already been kind of resolved. And it is... (laughs) Up to 263,000 as of today, so. Excellent. (laughs) Last week, I mentioned that you can get an antenna for 10 bucks and connect it to your TV and run the tuner scan on it or for channel scanning. Generally speaking, if you are in an area that gets reception, the PBS stations tend to be the most powerful and they're usually in beautiful 1080 resolution. So if you need a cheap way to grab that broadcast and you don't have either cable or satellite or internet which i hope is not the case uh you have that free option and it's ad free that's pretty cool i need me some charlie brown jj4884 message us on patreon that's patreon.com slash avxl if you're a patron by the way we're gonna have a hangout next week uh check patreon.com slash avxl or your email for an update on that hangout But he forwarded a story, quote, TCL smart TVs may have Chinese backdoor. Protect yourself now. It's a Tom's Guide story. The good news is this is not the Roku TVs from TCL that we're always talking about. Uh, It is, however, confirmed on a a list of uh, TCL Android TVs. You could look at this one of two ways. Who cares? They have the possibility of browsing, uploading, or downloading files on my television like i care uh that said security researchers said this was a full backdoor that could offer the opportunity to turn the tv on or off which again you know you might not care about uh but they could possibly turn the camera or mic on or off that they have full access there should be an update uh or patch for this you know one thing to think about i've been working with a bunch of uh security professionals lately you might not care about somebody browsing files on your 42-inch television or somebody figuring out a way to remotely turn off all of the Android TCL televisions in some particular continent of the uh, of the earth. You don't want your TV, though, to be the breach that allows them to uh, pivot or escalate and access uh, more serious things inside your home network. It's just look for the update. This is uh, frustrating, but part of the internet of stuff (laughs) i think the the creepiest part of that story is how tcl basically pushed an update to the tvs that was what they call a totally silent patch basically they logged into everyone's affected tvs closed that insecure port without anything showing up in terms of anything on screen to signify that the tv had been updated that's a little creepy but (laughs) i mean that's one way to fix it but I would almost prefer the message just simply pop up on the screen saying, hey, there's an update for your TV. Uh, The next time you restart it, it will apply rather than a rather interesting way where the security researcher basically woke up one day after a few weeks of notifying TCL about this and the TV was just suddenly fixed. 
<laughs> with, quote, any notification, alert, or request for user authorization. Do you really own your television? <laughs> At least these TVs apparently are no longer the threat they were. Right. That was pretty crazy. Effectively, if you could get code to run on those TVs, there, right. it's pretty endless. The craziness you could get away with, but still, well, you could use them as a, a weird story. Net. I mean, one of the biggest, one of the biggest botnets was, uh, the, you know, you think about it, incredibly low-powered processors inside CCTV cameras, in security cameras, and somebody figured out a way to get software running on that, and then used basically an army of tiny, low-powered processors on security cameras to DDoS websites and stuff. Oh, so, so many devices like that especially with security cameras. Yeah. None of that is made locally. It's all generally private firmware that you can't really examine and nothing's published. You're just depending on your network setup and <laughs> and hopefully yeah. some some company support. Well, one of the challenges, especially with, with the internet of stuff, is that a lot of, especially when you're looking at particularly low-priced items, a lot of times the chipset or a board or a camera comes with sample software running on a version of Linux of unknown origins or age or patch status. Totally. And they slap the corporate logo on it and they ship the product and nothing ever happens. And then you are subject to... Warts and all. You know, you have... Yeah. Well, It was sample code. <laughs> sample. <laughs> and it worked. So we shipped it. I am grateful, oh though, in the end for not only security researchers, but the people who are curious about this kind of stuff and... Yeah, this was serious, relatively serious for a consumer product. The only thing I'm thankful for is that the Roku TVs weren't affected. And I'm curious as to why. Because they're not running Android. In the case of the Roku TVs, they have Roku itself usually is doing the entire underlayment of software. One of the challenges with Android, though, is there's there's Android, there's Android, and there's Android, which is to say <laughs> there's version? Android, the theoretical, ideal, latest patched version. There's the Android with all the cruftware on it by various manufacturers. And then there's the fact that Android is fundamentally open source code and people do all sorts of weird stuff with it and source it from all sorts of odd places. FlatPlanetsHD.com quotes a new report by the DSCC, that's the Display Supply Chain Consultants Group. Quote, consumers are very enthusiastic about micro-LED technology, but the report finds that micro-LED will only have a small share of the TV market due to a high retail price. Um, they're talking about maybe in one other study, uh, less than half a percent of market share by 2026. Uh, we've heard Apple, AUO, Sony, and Samsung, amongst others, flirting with micro-LED. It's spendy, and OLED is getting cheaper, and QLED is getting better. To put this into context, the 146-inch The Wall TV from Samsung, which is a flagship product, they're, they're not expecting to sell a lot of those, but that's a $300,000 display. Correct. And when we say micro-LED, we're talking about literally tiled panels, generally speaking. And yeah. to do very high resolution tiled panels that appear seamless and can be made up into literally whatever size screen you want, it's expensive. And that is unlikely to change anytime soon. You see the outdoor displays using much larger LEDs at much right. further distances, pr producing pretty impressive resolutions. And if you've seen some of the latest TVs deployed in Las Vegas, they're impressive as well, even at much closer distances. But we're still talking like 40-foot screens of LED walls. Right. <sighs> yeah, for home use, it's not there unless somebody 
can produce relatively inexpensive panels that people can just start experimenting with and get used to and to provide some robust display brightness. Because there's a lot of advantages to having that tiled display, especially for just the customization alone. But we've been seeing demos of this tech literally since 2012. Impressive yeah. as can be, like Sony's Crystal LED demo, where I believe it was a 4K panel about 40 inches or so, 46 inches, that was all LEDs uh, as subpixels. And it looked beautiful. And it had like that OLED impressiveness in terms of black level with just incredible peak brightness. But uh, that, that was a full, large scale panel, whereas with these micro LED, in a sense, tiles, yeah, I, Less than 1% market share <laughs> as predicted for the next four years, you know, five years. I'm trying to think of where the best place to do something like this would be. Ideally, where you see this is also in commercial installations. So if you do need a giant screen of very high resolution and well-saturated color, incredible brightness with the contrast to go with it, these are good options. My closest experience to the best of these screens is in somewhere like Las Vegas in, in right. some of the various either casinos or outdoor events where they have some very impressive displays. It's like the show off place for display systems like these. But again, those are commercial installations. And for I think the average person, nah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be cool to have a bunch of like, say, eight inch tiles or some standardized size. That was hopefully right. a standard that was compatible with, you know, eh, that's a rabbit hole, rabbit hole of calibration compatibility. There you have it. Uh, Hi-Fi Man's releasing their first closed back planar magnetics in 15 years. Uh, I got a heads up on this yesterday. The HER10P. This is pretty interesting. They have cherry wood ear cups, big looking cherry wood ear cups that quote, and I have to quote this because the language is breathtaking, provide the necessary breathing room with substantial spatial volume and output that reflects the best of both closed and open back designs. I like the alliteration of substantial spatial. It's uh, accurate. It is accurate, right? But here's the thing. is <laughs> Beautifully is, said. Traditionally, headphones, uh, open back headphones are associated with audiophiles and music enthusiasts because that allows them to have sort of a broader, wider sound stage. And in the last few years, there have been some closed back headphones that have they're really kind of spectacular. Um, Hi-Fi Man's trying to do, they haven't done a closed back headphone in, in forever, at least on the planar magnetic side. What's interesting about these is they're 30 ohm, which technically means they can be driven by your phone, depending on what the power demands are. Uh, and the pics of the drivers on the Hi-Fi Man website look kind of like their classic uh, engineering work. And they're using Dr. Fang, Dr. Fang being the uh, founder of Hi-Fi Man. They're using Dr. Fang's nano thickness diaphragm. I think I've heard those in the Susvara and the HE1000s. Uh, they pack three cables in the box, 3.5, 6.5 millimeter, and a balanced XLR cable, which I think is nice because, you know, this is a $5,500 set of headphones, which means they are almost as spendy as the $6,000 Susvaras, which uh, is probably one of the most expensive non-electrostatic headphones I've ever heard or heard of. Those are up on the store at, hi at store.hifiman.com. Really curious how they feel on your head. Uh, they're about four. 460 grams. Those ear cups are kind of big. They also announced the HER10D, which has a dynamic driver, uh, similar 
kind of cup and aluminum over ear part, uh, but they're using uh, pine wood instead of cherry on this model. And of course, dynamic drivers with their topology diaphragm, uh, which is involving nanoscale particle tech, which I'm wondering if it's if, if it's another variation of, of carbon infusion on the drivers to make them stiffer. Not a lot of information available on that one. That's not going to be shipping until later in November. Uh, that also includes three cables in the box for about $1,500. If nice. you've been you know, kind of sniffing around, like the HE400S and I are, are kind of classic entry-level audiophile headphones. A lot of love for those. Uh, they are open back. You need to have a quiet environment to use them. But the prices, they have some open box deals on store.hifiman.com, and the prices are fairly low now on Amazon, too. And uh, I should probably give a shout-out. I'll double-check the cost on the Monoprice 565C, which is a unbelievable deal on a closed-back planar magnetic. Those are 15% off right now. They're $170. They're a really impressive, again, not the lightest headphone, but a really impressive performance that is okay in an office environment. <laughs> and Especially home office. To drive. Yes. Although, you know, as one of our friends asked last week, why am I using headphones when I'm at home and no one else is here? Oh, you know why. Phrasing there. <laughs> <laughs> Those are 390 grams which aren't the lightest, but uh, are still pretty manageable. For 460 grams, probably not too bad. But then again, I have a 17 and a half inch neck. So what do the, I may be more comptable with Sony MDR 7506's way. That's my only real I want to say about 280 grams. Yeah, I don't think they're that heavy. So, okay. Now I've got a point of reference for different weights. Now, you, now I'm looking it up because I have to know. I, I, I have was, to know. I was about to do the same. <laughs> I should have just. What am I thinking? Let's just look it up. Nothing says exciting podcasts like two guys searching on Google for a spec. Oh, man. I'll edit this out. Hell <laughs> <laughs> no. It'll seem like we came up with this instantly. <laughs> or maybe not. Okay. I've got it. In three, two. Sony MDR 7506s are right around uh, 230 grams or 8.1 ounces. You are close. I try. Spot on. And those are selling for 90 bucks on Amazon right now. Truly our fave entry-level headphone. They are mine. From Google's vague but intriguing department, how about the idea of a Nest Home Theater? So 9to5Google on November 4th wrote uh, an interesting write-up, quote, unused marketing hints at using Nest Audio as home theater sound system for Chromecast with Google TV. We know that Apple's HomePod, people have been using them uh, linked up with Apple TV. As of one of the more recent betas in October, you can finally lock it down so you don't have to reset it every restart if you are using HomePods for speakers with your Apple TV in your home theater environment. So November 12th in the Wall Street Journal article, uh, apparently they did a roundup of the Apple HomePod Mini, the Amazon Echo, the Google Nest, their $100 smart speaker showdown. And Google told the Wall Street Journal that they are working on home theater integration for Nest Audio, i.e. the idea that you can use multiple Nests to create some sort of stereo or possibly greater surround sound environment. So if you are if you are deep in the Google ecosystem, you have another option, possibly in the future at some point. And we were just <laughs> joking last week about using rechargeable <laughs> portable speakers for perhaps a a way to do Atmos on the cheap. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but maybe 
Just maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I could throw some nets. It's not, it, it's not wireless if you have no. to plug it into a wall. I need power up there. Oh I'll put goodness. a power strip up in the ceiling. That's got to be I'm safe. looking forward to running power all over this house. I dream. HBO Max is now available on Amazon Fire TV, or I should say, as of November 17th, HBO Max is on Amazon Fire TV. Um, if you already have HBO on your, or HBO Now on your uh, devices or tablets, it will automatically become HBO Max, which was a weird experience on my iPhone. Uh, you'll use the same credentials you're using now. No signs of a Roku deal yet which is kind of a bummer. There was a really great article uh, The Verge did back in July, uh, why Peacock and HBO Max aren't on the biggest streaming platforms that was talking about why it takes so long to iron out some of these deals. Roku has something like, they're claiming 44% or or the reports are suggesting that Roku has 44% of the viewing time in the US. Uh, Conviva did that estimate with Amazon Fire coming in at 19%. Both claim they have something in the neighborhood of 40 million customers using their devices. I think Roku probably with a lot more people watching video. These fights, these negotiations are all about money. And a big part of that on Roku is sign-up fees and uh, and access to advertising. Uh, Roku wants 20% of the fees when you sign up on a new platform and 30% of your ad inventory per hour. And that's... Uh, you know, Amazon doesn't really roll like that. <laughs> Indeed. Or maybe they do. I should say uh, HBO probably doesn't want to roll like that. This is about sort of, you know, the pain of giving up money versus the pain of not being on a huge platform. And this is not going away anytime because I, 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 I'm at this terrible point where I realize that we're just going to end up with more and more and more platforms uh, where you're just like, huh, I have no interest in CBS. Oh, wait. They've got that series. Oh, <laughs> like, I know. I know. Fired up my new Roku Ultra, the brand new one with Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. And I just signed in with all of my favorite services again, including Disney Plus. That's there. I haven't tried it with HBO anything. I'll keep an eye to see when that finally does pop up on their service. But as long Things as I have my breath. <laughs> YouTube premium, I'm set. <laughs> If you plan on hiding at home after Christmas in some sort of food coma post-unwrapping stupor, uh, it's a good day for video. Wonder Woman 1984 is going to come out on HBO Max on December 25th, which makes me, I'll say it again, because nobody gets tired of me whining about HBO's lack of HDR and Atmos. Uh, and also, uh, Pixar's Soul is going to be out on Disney Plus December 25th. Very cool. I feel comfortable that, that Vision and Atmos support on that are given. <laughs> that was one weird thing about my new Roku Ultra. When I first uh -huh. set it up, it defaults to Dolby Vision for everything. It just converts everything to that. Right. I don't want my beautiful OLED running in its brightest mode possible 24-7. So I immediately went right into the settings and tweaked that. Turn that off. Made it native. So it's like whatever the signal is. If it's a HDR signal, it just spits that out. And so far, I've had no issues with it whatsoever. It's literally the exact same size as the previous Ultra. It uses the same power supply. The remote's almost uh -huh. identical, except whose premium buttons do you want on the remote this time around? And those have changed up. I want none of them. Disney got their <laughs> button on there. So Disney Plus is now a one-touch feature right on the remote itself. 
I've never actually, I, I literally, other than to test it once, I've never actually used any of those buttons on a on a Roku remote. I mean, props for the additional revenue for Roku, but, I'll, or maybe that's part of the deal. I'll admit, <laughs> maybe HBO Max is holding out for a dedicated button. They, you, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> At least on my LG TV, when I used its built-in apps and its pre-sponsored buttons on the remote itself, pressing Netflix on that remote literally gets the experience going within a couple seconds. It is, this is that good. I appreciate. And if you look at like Netflix, they have like a list of TVs that are, I don't know what they call them, Netflix ready, Netflix premium experience, whatever. I do appreciate when things are well coded and it just gets you right to what you want without a lot of hassle or, or waiting around. It's nice. Yeah. I've been uh, obsessing over Dolby Vision uh, enabled discs lately. <laughs> Not because my projector can actually do Dolby Vision, for that matter. No, uh, I don't think there's any uh, projector for less than the cost of a house that can come anywhere in your Dolby Vision specs. I might be hacking uh, my HDMI input to my projector, but that's a conversation for another day. Following up on uh, Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 or the X and the S from Xbox, got Robert Heron, have you purchased the PS5? The fact that it's missing Dolby Vision and it feels like no one cares but me seems strange. Wondered if you had a chance to test UHD Blu-ray HDR quality of this system. Um, Robert and you are not the only people, uh, Ketchup Fingers, who are irritated that there is no Dolby Vision support for discs on actually either console. It's really odd. Yeah. I agree, because uh, it's crazy, right? So Xbox has Dolby Vision on launch for streaming. They're going to have Dolby Vision for gaming in 2021. No Dolby Vision for discs. Uh, Atmos support is is ready for games on launch, by the way. PlayStation 5, the $400 digital edition, of course, has no drive. The $500 uh, version of the PlayStation 5 has an Ultra HD Blu-ray drive. It is supposed to support HDR10, duh, but it is not supporting Dolby Vision. There's uh, no Sony Atmos, as far as anybody knows. Uh, but, of course, Sony's doing their whole Tempest 3D audio tech for games. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the Sony Pulse 3D headphones that are launching with the, the, the Sony PlayStation 5. But reality, any 3.5mm or USB headphones are supposed to work with their Tempest 3D surround sound immersive audio technology. HDR10 Plus, not going to happen from Sony because that's a Samsung thing and, and Sony's just not going to do that. be curious to see if either console ends up adding this down the road. I have a feeling they are more than hardware capable of doing some yeah. version of Dolby Vision. It would not surprise me at some point. Maybe even a paid upgrade or a paid download. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe that's the way they're justifying the licensing cost. That's my theory. I'd say like, oh, well, you know, they're, they don't care. They're not worried about it because most people don't have Dolby Vision televisions, but they're doing it for streaming and gaming, you know, and I can see why they might do it for streaming because of some of the advantages it offers in terms of playback for Dolby Vision and uh, non-Dolby Vision supported content. But it kind of blows my mind that they're not doing it for discs. My uh, belief is that it will be supported. If HDR10 is already there, I believe a Dolby Vision option will appear at some point in the future. I feel for anyone who's really trying to get a hold of one of these consoles as we roll into the holiday season, it seems like it's mortal combat out there to find one or have one reliably delivered. And if you do it's have one... It's not even mortal combat. There's just no supply. 
AVRs are out of stock. It's everything. The new 5000 series AMD processors were available for like a day and disappeared. 3000 series cards, and, you know, Nvidia's always launched with short supply, but they've never said up front that they had short supply. And the 3000 series cards are vaporware. The 6000 series GPUs from AMD for around for 10 minutes. Yep. Um, Go on. Blu-ray players are kind of a mixed bag in terms of availability. Well, uh, I want to give a shout out uh, to uh, Audioholics, great website. Um, they had a heads up that Denon and Marantz did a firmware update uh, that has actually added in some features that were pulled out a while back. So center spread is back in the Dolby Surround Up Mixer. Uh, Third-party upmixing on Dolby content is now going to be allowed for all 2019 uh, and I believe 2020 Denon and Marantz AVRs. They got DTX Pro for 13 channel decoding. Not that I have a 13 channels. I'm ever going to have to worry about 13 channels, but they'll do that for DTSX uh, and IMAX uh, DTSX signals. They have 180 hertz crossovers added in there. So if you have some particularly small speakers or you have a wealth of subwoofers, uh, you can start doing your speaker crossovers at 180 hertz. Uh, I haven't done this update yet, so I'm going to... I'm kind of curious to see what it looks like on my machine. And I have full-size speakers up front, so that doesn't worry me. But in some of my surround speakers, a higher crossover might be useful. 2020 models are also going to see uh, fixed-rate link FRL added to the, the receivers. It's, uh, yeah. Is that confirmed? Yeah, FRLs. I, if they I listed read it, it correctly, nice. I, I believe they did, yeah. That was the single issue that everyone was dealing with with all of the new right. AVRs using that chips that we talked about a week or two ago. Right. That everyone seems to be using for the so-called 8K AVRs out there. Right. If they're able to push this fix and it works, I am looking forward to it. It's the early adopter syndrome again. It's just, man, you're right on the cutting edge of so many things happening at once in terms of either the source device right. or the pass through or the display. All of them are being updated as quick as possible. And... It seems like the biggest showstoppers have at least been addressed, and it's good to see yeah. these updates being pushed. That is freaking awesome. That's going to make a lot, of, at least the, the most cutting edge of the gamers out there, quite happy. It's a good thing. I'm looking forward to it. We mentioned uh, the issues with the TCL televisions, the Android TCL televisions earlier in the podcast. Something that kind of snuck out that I had no idea was coming was the Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act, which was passed by the Senate and also uh, earlier passed by the House. Quote, would require all Internet-connected devices purchased by the federal government, such as computers and mobile devices, to comply with minimum security recommendations issued by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Yeah, I would like it for everything, but uh, Maggie Miller wrote this uh, up over at the Hill. I think simply having, you know, this is a start, I guess. Uh, if if the federal government's saying like, hey, don't ship crap <laughs> that's full of holes, it may lead to some thoughtful uh, effort on the side of consumers too. Let's hope they take the recommendation from NIST and apply that. I'd like to read what NIST's Standards are for minimum security recommendations. Actually, that's the next thing I want to look up. <laughs> I feel comfortable in saying they're lower than anybody wants, but they're better than nothing. Yeah, but uh, I think you're I've right. also <laughs> spent a large part of the last few years hanging out with hackers. So my standards may be higher than they should be. If your questions, email ask at avxl.com, tweet at Patrick Norton, tweet at Robert Heron, or of course, if you're a patron, you can message us on patreon.com slash avxl. And if you're a patron, you also get access to our monthly hangout. We're going to have one of those next week. And of course, you help support the show, which we greatly appreciate. 
Scott writes, longtime listener, but now I have a question for you both. I want to set up a good two-channel system for my bedroom to listen to music and streaming content for my Apple TV. Do you know of any type of stereo preamp or DAC out there that can take an HDMI input and decode most modern bit streams and still pass the video signal to the TV? I can't seem to find anything without having to buy a more expensive surround preamp and only use two channels of it. I mean, generally speaking, you've just described most modern AVRs, and unfortunately, if you're buying an AVR, you usually have to spend a fair amount of change to get one with preamp outputs. You know, there are HDMI audio extractors that would allow you to extract uh, audio, but I I don't know how I feel about the quality of some of those in terms of the, you know, (laughs) isolating noise and some other stuff. They're probably pretty good, but it's also things like are they synced properly? Is it suddenly going to right. produce another issue? And then you have the whole thing of stacking yet another device, one to simply split right. audio out of your HDMI feed into an amp that you're going to need to drive a couple speakers yeah. or or into powered speakers. I would look for sort of the smallest AVR you can find for yeah. this. It's a little frustrating. Uh, you know, you also might think about some of the dedicated devices out there that might be able to take the optical out from the television and turn that into stereo and also work as an endpoint for your uh, streaming audio. You're looking for the smallest AVR you can find. And if you don't want power amps built into the AVR, you're kind of SOL because you have to spend more money to get a... (laughs) It sounds counterintuitive, but generally speaking, you're going to spend more money to get a... AVR that offers preamp uh, outputs for your power amps. And if you are using a TV as the hub for all of the devices, right. then I would just get an amp and take that output from the TV. Hopefully, hopefully there's optical there, but at the bare minimum, I don't know if I'd trust analog audio output and, and how many TVs still offer that. I have a dongle for that. <laughs> I have a $300 HDR Fury device I use for that. No, I'm kidding, actually. I don't. It's just you're just far enough out of the typical use uh, for this. You're kind of hosed. You really need an AVR to do this in the simplest and and cleanest fashion. Uh, Sadly, there are not a lot of uh, tiny AVRs out there. Although, actually, I had some pretty good luck. I used my Sonos. uh, I used a Sonos amp, which is a fantastic digital source for streaming audio. uh, And I I basically ran the HDMI from the television into the Sonos amp. And that actually worked incredibly well. Then you have to buy into the whole Sonos ecosystem, and it's a $600 amp. But it's the performance on that amp using uh, the digital source inside of it is, is pretty spectacular. And it's also incredibly powerful. Back in the day, I used to often, if there was nothing else to be had, is use a pair of powered speakers and the analog outputs right. from the TV because you're already connecting everything to it. And it's way affordable and something easy True. to do. And it's a good way to improve audio quality if you have that gear just laying around, not being used. But otherwise, yeah. Look for the old computer speakers. <laughs> yeah, it, it depends on the also on the speakers, too. It's like, are, do you have a set that you need to drive and you apparently do need it? an amp of some kind, or you could use the TV, but I see the advantages of sticking with an AVR just to keep it condensed. (laughs) A wish for a smaller AVR. If you have actually, if you know of a fairly small AVR, email us, askanavxl.com. We got a great email from Dale covering three subjects, MLB blackout rules, LG burn-in issues, and VHS conversions. 
but he had some really good insight on why MLB blackouts work the way they do. Dale writes that he used to be the controller for the Sports Channel Florida, which eventually became the regional sports network, RSN, Fox Sports Florida. And that situation dictates that the blackout rules are driven by a deal between the team itself and that regional sports network. So they have a deal where it's like, okay, we're going to have this just on one channel. Then any other source is going to be frozen out of that because that's how the bills are paid in terms of making money for the station. Now, that really gets me to the point of where I'm just going to kiss MLB TV goodbye as far as a streaming source for baseball, at least for the live games during the season, because I would say 50% of my viewing experience was straight up blacked out. And it it became too much of a pain in the butt for me to go find out, okay, do I have to go over to TBS or ESPN or whoever to watch this game live? And often it was not with the Major League Baseball app itself. They were often putting me in a spot where just simply based upon where I live, I cannot watch what I want to watch unless I go to not extremes, but go to places I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to jump apps and look around to figure out, okay, this is going to be on this broadcaster today and they're going to black it out because of the deal they have in place anyway. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty annoying. Dale also mentioned a LG TV burn-in problem he had with a 55-inch B7 that he picked up back in February of 2018. His serious burn-in problem apparently is the word Netflix right in the middle of the screen that is noticed whenever a red scene comes up. And that brilliant red Netflix logo that's been worn just a little bit more is now a permanent fixture. <laughs> when that kind of uniform imagery is on the screen it it can be seen when it shouldn't be and whenever i hear of a burn-in situation like this or an uneven wearing of the pixels in particular a specific logo that's super obvious i'm willing to bet that logo sat there for a while for some reason and none of my business as to why or how it may have happened but the fact that he mentioned that he picked this up at costco and it likely still has a warranty Check your warranty paperwork. If the warranty is for any or no reason and you want to swap that sucker out and put it toward a new model. If it's something that bothers you in the long run, burn in is a legit problem. I think I would just check your paperwork real quick and why not upgrade if you can. What the hell? It sounds like it bugs you. You notice it. You're never not going to see it. (laughs) So take advantage of that Costco warranty, extended warranty that he picked up. Wow. It's one of the few times I would ever say a extended warranty actually paid for itself but i could be statistically they don't generally pay for themselves but i also you know i paid a i think it was two thousand dollars for an extended warranty on a truck that i i certainly would not buy today uh and it got me eight thousand dollars of repairs the only other tvs besides oleds i've seen burn-in issues with of course were the good old plasma televisions of the day and going back even further you could say the uh, crt based front projectors Ugh. I t- oh I don't miss those. <laughs> I don't miss any of that. <laughs> Nobody misses those. But burning's a problem. Dale sees it. And if that warranty is, is in effect, take advantage of it. And Costco's easy to deal with. And finally, for that VHS tape conversion, I did mention one time that I still had, I think, one VHS tape still left in storage that I really do not need it converted. I think I'm good to go there. I'm going to keep that last one, let it collect some dust, and eventually recycle it. But <laughs> it's not worth it's doing. Spirit. Thank you for the offer, Dale. I appreciate it. 
have this note tacked on at the end of the script for this episode uh, that I'm really obsessing over Dolby Vision 4K Blu-rays because I'm hoping, finally, for a decent transfer for Tombstone, which oh, is great yeah. on Blu-ray. But the video on that uh, on that Blu-ray is pretty mediocre. It's weak. It's a weak transfer. So now I'm hoping for a you know 4K HDR transfer of, of really the best version of Doc Holliday ever. Um. <laughs> I think you may be rewarded. That has a higher than average chance of probably finding the best source and getting that, I hope, <laughs> delivered in better quality. I'm still we in need shock. We a Criterion over... edition. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the Criterion edition of Predator. That ain't going to happen. That is a glorious mess of a transfer into 4K. Or is it even oh. 4K? I have whatever the highest version is of Predator you can have. <laughs> and it's it's it reveals its uh, scars a little bit or its flaws. There's a little bit of little bit of film grain, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> How do you deal with film grain? I was just some really gated open shots. <laughs> oh, you know, I was I was watching one of the Lord of the Rings movies, and I just remember this moment where you know I kind of made the face, and my my head kind of jerked back because there was a cut between scenes, and it's not a great transfer um, because of the streaming service that carries it uh, is kind of notorious for over compressing their video. But I just remember looking at this and being like, that 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 CG is not aging well <laughs> as it's scaled up. I'm telling you, streaming services like Netflix in particular, with their commitment, I guess is a good way to say it, to producing mm -hmm. content in HDR and 4K as we go forward. They are making some of the best looking content I've seen. And I think yeah. that will hold up better over the long run than, yeah, some of my favorite classics, unfortunately. Did <laughs> at, I? Least, at least in terms of, you know, if they ever re-release it or put it out on a disc or put it out, you know, like either 4K or in Dolby Vision. Who knows? My <laughs> wife and I... Uh... It was interesting because the, the original HBO version of The Long Night, the season eight of uh, Game of Thrones, that battle in the dark, and we watched it on HBO Max. I was I wanted to look it up because I picked up the, the actual 4K Blu-ray because I was really excited to, to see what HDR did for it. And it was amazing how much less compressed it was because the compression artifacts were really problematic when we first watched it and uh, the night it went live. And it seems like they brightened it up somewhat. I would love to know if they actually redid that or if it was a particular artifact of, of how it was streamed, but it was it was fascinating to actually be able to see a lot of background detail that was just gone. And this is not even an HDR version of it. So oh, okay. I'm really, really curious to see that, that 4K version of it I picked up. I have to pick up a HDR-capable Blu-ray player, which I'll be doing later on today. We mentioned that Sony. 150 bucks, less than. <laughs> That's There you go. It's There's... One within 250 miles of me, and I just need to get over there before there are zero within 250 miles of me. We mentioned it a bunch uh, in the past couple of weeks. If you're shopping, shop early. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's out, and you know it may get here in time for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever your holiday shopping season is. If an opportunity to pick something up comes and you've checked Camel, 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 and you know that price isn't too outrageous, jump on it because I don't see availability on a lot of stuff getting any better or, for that matter, uh, shipping times getting any better the closer we get to full-on holiday mayhem this year. One thing, too, about the difference between a streaming source versus a 4K disc is also how much color is compressed. So if there is right. less compression to that color information, there very well could be a different picture quality, a more accurate picture quality that's being presented with that transfer. Huh. Interesting. Oh, you know what I just found out on Flat Panels HD? What? You just made me search for something because 
uh, I was wondering about HBO Max streaming quality. Flat Panels HD writes, they're seeing an average of 7 to 10 megabytes per second bitrate for 1080p with MPEG-4 AVC while streaming Joker, uh, Wonder Woman, Batman, blah, 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 with video uh, peaks at about 13 to 14 megabits per second. HBO Now and HBO Go typically hovered around 4 to 5 megabits per second for 1080p, and uh, the, apparently the European uh, HBO was even lower at around 3.5 megabits per second. So they're talking about like 2 to 3 times the bandwidth on HBO Max compared to HBO Now and HBO Go. And that color. That's fascinating. That extra color information, the less compression of the color information in particular, would produce, it should produce a brighter picture. So I'm not insane. A more contrasted picture, too, that could just simply appear brighter. Huh. With less artifacts and better detail. And yeah, I love my discs, but I understand that <laughs> streaming is the future. Or at least a, a very yeah. convenient option. I am fascinated. I thought I was having a placebo thing. <laughs> but apparently they actually made a significantly higher bandwidth uh uh, offering on HBO Max. Way to go, HBO. Now just go ahead and get some HDR and some better surround sound options. Yeah, if you can ever do a side-by-side -side with the streaming source versus a, a Blu-ray disc on similar displays, right. you will see a color difference in both presentations, without a doubt. Oh. That's almost a given. That was one of the most... Blind, it, was, it was several years ago. We talked about this a thousand years ago. Um, was the one that really blew me away was watching Downton Abbey where we'd purchased the season on Apple versus the Blu-ray. And I didn't think it looked bad streaming on Apple. And then I played the Blu-ray and I was like, look at all the color that was missing. The colors are so much more saturated. The detail. The pop um, is good. It was kind of crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is ABXL. We talk about home theater and audio gear. We love screens, and we love projectors, and we love surround sound, and we love headphones, and we love portable audio devices, we love streaming audio, we love music. We love it all, and we're here to help you get the best experience uh, you can for the money you've got. You got a million dollars, we'll help you spend it. You know, you got a dorm room and a hundred bucks, we'll help you get the best possible experience you can get. So if you want to help support us, do us a favor, go over to patreon.com slash AVXL, become a patron, and uh, keep an eye on your inbox if you're a patron for our hangout next week. And uh, we hope everybody has an amazing Thanksgiving. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.